Wake up, America. It's Morning Air with John Morales. Si, senor. Sarah Tafoya. Hey, it's my mom. Mama. And Glenn Leverins. This is Morning Air on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. It's Friday, February 23rd, 2024. Good morning and welcome back to a brand new hour of Morning Air on the Memorial of St. Polycarp. Happy Friday. I'm John Morales along with Glenn Leverins and our studio producer Sarah Tafoya on the other side of the glass uh, wearing uh, her Mickey Mouse ears on this casual Friday. Thanks so much uh, for making us a part of your morning, wherever you may be across America and beyond here on Relevant Radio and the new Relevant Radio app. Today is the memorial of St. Polycarp, Bishop and Martyr. St. Polycarp was converted to Christianity and was a disciple of St. John the Apostle. He was also friends with St. Ignatius of Antioch and taught St. Irenaeus. St. Polycarp was a bishop in the early church and he was martyred for for his faith. He died in 156 AD. Let's also remember the sacred heart of Jesus as well as the passion and death of our Lord Jesus Christ, something that we do every single Friday. I want to bring in uh, Glenn and Sarah. Hey, Glenn, I wish you could see uh, Sarah's uh, Mickey Mouse ears this morning. Well, I can only imagine uh, that's just a, a great way to celebrate a trip to Disney and uh, a great way to come to work on any day, I'd say. For sure. She is uh, looking uh, in full uh, Disney form. You know what? That sounds like a dare. Okay. On Monday, I'll be wearing my ears as well. Okay. Get it. <laughs> Very good. Just incorporate some headphones there. Nobody will know the difference. <laughs> yeah, they, they don't stand out at all. No one can tell I'm wearing them. <laughs> all right, Glenn, whatever are uh, some of the big headlines here uh, this hour? If anybody could get away with it, it would be Sarah there. Nobody will complain. But uh Hey, uh, in the news, uh, more sanctions against Russians uh, involved in the, the war on Ukraine. It's been two years now, as of this weekend, U.S. slapping 500 new sanctions uh, spurred on of late by the death of opposition leader Alexei Navalny uh, under very, very curious circumstances in a, uh, a Russian prison. Sadly, I don't believe the, uh, the sanctions have done a lot of harm to Russia, whose economy is actually growing, having increased trade with China and India, who are not a party to those sanctions, John. And uh, as we heard from Father Mikhailo Kuzma uh, last hour, uh, a Ukrainian priest, uh, we need to continue to to pray and fast uh, for an end to this war with the two-year anniversary uh, just tomorrow. Uh, meanwhile, a, a, a big story uh, with the first U.S. unmanned spacecraft actually touching down on the moon uh, yesterday, the first time uh, since uh, 1972, Glenn. Yeah, but a long time, right? I hope they uh, turned the lights out back in 72, uh, but uh, obviously they didn't because we can see the moon every night. But uh, my goodness, uh, it's uh, the next step toward uh, getting people back on the moon. NASA hopes to do that by the, the end of the century. And so this was an unmanned vehicle, the Odysseus Lander from the Texas private company Intuitive Machines. And so uh, NASA branching out to have some help from private companies as they gather the info they need to head back to the moon, John. First time uh, since Apollo 17 uh, that a spacecraft actually touches down on the moon. And uh, the uh, spacecraft is nicknamed Odie. And the CEO of the company, uh, his words were, welcome to the moon. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of cool to see as we were talking off here about, uh, you know, it doesn't seem to be as big a deal. Space travels become more normalized for us. But as we know, with 
some of the tragedies in space we've seen. It isn't uh, like, you know, hopping in your car and going to the grocery store by by any means, even though, uh, you know, so much success made it seem like that. Absolutely. Uh, meanwhile, uh, you know that I'm a big dog lover. And so, you know, every, anytime we can, we'll talk a little bit about uh, our pooches uh, here on the show. But uh, the presidential dog is in the headlines this morning. Yeah, I guess he's he's out now, which isn't a bad idea considering he has uh, bit people about 25 times, including Secret Service officers who are willing to give their life for the president, probably not thinking they'd have to... Uh, be involved in, uh, you know, wrestling dogs, perhaps. Yes, uh, and we're talking about a commander, uh, the the German Shepherd. Uh, apparently, the, those uh, uh, nearly 25 incidents of, of dog bites happened uh, between October of uh, 2022 and July of last year. Uh, one uh, senior agent said that the dog situation forced the Secret Service to change their tactics, advising agents to uh, give lots of room uh, to a commander. Uh, and in fact, uh, a former Secret Service agent, uh, Tim Miller, spoke to Fox News about Commander, who was really a bad dog. I never thought I'd see the day where the Secret Service needed protection in the White House grounds. Mm-hmm. Right. And, uh, you know, as a German Shepherd owner, pretty much my whole life, uh, you recognize these dogs are powerful. Uh, and it, that's why we use them in law enforcement and in the military. And when they're trained, they're awesome. When they're not trained, they are a deadly weapon. They run 30 miles an hour. They have bite pressure. I've seen these dogs in action, and it's shocking to me that more than 20 Secret Service agents have been attacked or bitten, one knocked down. And you just got to ask yourself the question, who's more important here, the dog or the Secret Service agents willing to lay down their life to protect you? I don't know. You know, that commander kind of sounds like a toddler. I mean, how many, they run really fast and um, they bite they a lot. Bite. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I, this is what they do. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure. But you know, you know what? I'm sure the president, he tried sanctions, didn't work on commander. Then yeah, I guess he had to do some, maybe he should have tried some treats. Um, today's a good day for that because today is a national dog biscuit treat day. It sure is. Uh, what a what a perfect uh, segue into uh, t- today's uh, celebration. And so this is the day uh, in which uh, we give our pooches uh, their favorite treats. And uh, I-, I can tell you firsthand, uh, uh, my Blaze, Blaze the Beagle, he loves uh, milk bone doggy biscuits. I mean, he goes nuts. If I even mention the word treat, his little tail starts wagging a mile a minute and he goes running into the kitchen and then I pull out the, a couple of them because they're really tiny. They're just little tiny treats. And I'll say, all right, Blaze, sit. And he'll sit, lift up his little paw, and off he goes. Oh, very good. Well, maybe you could have trained Commander because he seems like he's a, an untrainable wild beast. But you know what? Maybe he just didn't have the right treat. And I've heard that this brand is pretty good. Oh, that's from uh, 101 Dalmatians. <laughs> they were doing the canine crunchies. I, I mean, I've never tried it. I'm not a dog, but it, it sounds like it would work. I don't know. I, I love the sound of uh, the uh, doggy treat, uh, crunch, 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 when they're munching it down. You know, dog, uh, you know, dogs and their owners, they say, John, kind of after a while end up looking alike a little bit. Do you think you bear any resemblance or he bears any resemblance to you? You've got a, a, a yippy, energetic little beagle and, uh, you know, you bring some energy to the show, John. Do you think there's some similarities between you two? 
you know, I think there is something to, to that, you know, that dogs take on the personality of their owners. And so, uh, yeah, my Blaze, is, a, is he's a happy dog. He's, he's always <laughs> got a little smile on his face and his little tail is always <laughs> wagging. So, Very yeah, nice. we, uh, we love our, our pooch. And so today is uh, the day uh, to uh, really spoil your uh, four-legged friend on this uh, Dog Biscuit Appreciation uh, Day, and uh, they really are our best friends. There you go. And you know what? If if you're feeling, you know, a little creative, John, you know, you can always make your own uh, dog treats. That is one way to celebrate. So maybe look up some recipes and see if you can do as well as Milk Bone. Uh, well, for, for Blaze, that would be uh, leftovers. Okay. He, he dies for any <laughs> kind of well, the, the tiniest little scrap. That That's even better than the treats. Well, you can save them. I don't know. Do dogs, do they fast for meat for Lent or they, they, can, they can have meat today, right? So you could, you know, save all your meat scraps you won't be eating and maybe just give to him that's an extra treat double win yeah he especially <laughs> loves a uh, chicken chicken oh my goodness little yeah. just a couple little morsels and he's a happy dog very good all right uh enough of the dog stories uh, thanks uh so much uh sarah and glenn as always woof, woof. <laughs> we start every hour in prayer, giving thanks to our Lord for all the many blessings. We always pray through the intercession of the Mother of God, our Blessed Mother Mary, as we continue to pray for peace in the world and especially a peace in Ukraine with this two-year anniversary coming up uh, tomorrow. We also pray for peace in the Middle East, peace in our nation, peace in our church, and in our families. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death, amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, patroness of the unborn, and patroness of relevant radio, pray for us. St. Joseph, patron of the Universal Church, pray for us. St. John Paul II, co-patron of Relevant Radio and my hero, pray for us. And we invoke the Holy Spirit every morning here on the show and we pray, come Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Our power scripture from the Playbook of Life uh, this morning is from Colossians 3.17. The Apostle St. Paul writes, And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. St. Paul reminds us that it doesn't matter what you do for a living. It doesn't matter if you're a lawyer, doctor, mother, a business owner, or a baseball player. Whatever you do, if you do it for Jesus and for his glory, you're on the right track. During this Lent, uh, keep in mind that you can sanctify your work throughout the day. Whatever you do, if you do it for the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Jesus the Lord. And we always pray with great confidence that prayer that Drew and Maggie pray every afternoon uh, during the Chapel of Divine Mercy. Jesus, I trust in you. We need to take a short pause when we come back. A Catholic and pro-life attorney Mary Helen Fiorito will join us to discuss uh, the recent Alabama Supreme Court ruling that frozen embryos are protected by wrongful death law that 
unborn babies are actually human beings. So stay with us as uh, Morning Air continues on this Friday here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Wake up, America. It's Morning Air with John Morales, Sarah Tafoya, and Glenn Leverins on Relevant Radio. And welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales, along with Glenn and Sarah. Thanks so much for tuning in. It's great to be with you on this Friday here on Relevant Radio and the new Relevant Radio app. Our toll-free number, if you want to be part of the program, 888-914-9149, sponsored by the Catholic Order of Foresters. That's 888-914-9149. And, uh, of course, you can always send us an email directly. It's morningair at relevantradio.com. Now, in case you haven't heard, uh, last Friday the Alabama Supreme Court ruled that frozen embryos are legally children under the state's wrongful death of a minor act, which encompasses uh, the negligent destruction of frozen embryos created through in vitro fertilization, or IVF. The Alabama High Court basically said that unborn babies are human beings regardless of their location. Now, this is uh, the way that WGN News Chicago reported on the ruling. Alabama Supreme Court rules frozen embryos are considered children under state law. The decision comes from a wrongful death lawsuit filed by three couples who lost their frozen embryos in an accident at a fertility clinic. In the opinion, the court wrote Alabama's wrongful death of a minor law applies to all unborn children, regardless of their physical location or developmental stage. Critics say the decision has implications for fertility treatment in Alabama and around the country. This fertilized egg is now a child. Can we freeze them? Who is potentially criminally liable? Is it the people who created those embryos? Maybe it's the embryologist or maybe it's somebody in the fertility clinic. We simply don't know. The American Society for Reproductive Medicine says at least one Alabama fertility clinic has been instructed by its affiliated hospital to suspend IVF treatments because of the court's ruling. And that is just a, a sample of how the mainstream media has been reporting on this uh, story. In fact, the Washington Post, in an op-ed, actually uh, called the, the Alabama Supreme Court ruling a theocracy. So uh, there's been a lot of media attention. Joining us live from the Chicago area is Morning Air regular contributor Mary Helen Fiorito with much more on this first-of-a-kind ruling by the Alabama Supreme Court uh, that has received all that attention. Mary's an attorney, a public speaker and commentator on issues involving Catholic Church teachings, administration, and religious freedom. She holds the position of the Cardinal Francis George Fellow at both the Ethics and Public Policy Center and the DeNicola Center for Ethics and Culture at the University of Notre Dame. Good morning, Mary. Thanks so much uh, for joining us. It's uh, so good to be with you once again to talk about this big story uh, that has really uh, captured the imagination of of the media in a big way. Yeah, well, the the imagination is the right word for it because I don't know where they're getting um, some of the sound bites that they're using, but they certainly didn't sit down and actually read the decision as I did um, because it paints a very different picture And it's a very, very narrow ruling. And it just shows you how desperate abortion advocates are, that they have to lie to the extent that they do 
create hysteria, whip up a frenzy. You know, they did this after the Dobbs decision was handed down, um, trying to convince women that if they were having a miscarriage, they'd be prosecuted for murder. I mean, you know, and these are the kind of insane conclusions that they're jumping to in this case. Well, last night before I went to bed, I just happened to stumble on a on a on a very liberal talk show in which they were going on and on and on about how this ruling is a theocracy. It's just I'm just like laughing to myself. Just well, they, I know it's have, crazy town. Yeah, they just have this insane perspective. Well, and but they they're doing that intentionally, though. You need to see the the motivation behind some of these comments, John. And it's to we have a big election coming up. They do not want the pro life candidate, uh, presumably President Trump, to win. Um, they want you know to terrify uh, American women into thinking you know that if you know. And again, I I need to by at the outset state that the Catholic Church doesn't approve of IVF. And these are some of the reasons why, right? I mean, the natural extension of separating the unitive and the procreative act can be situations like this. And we do have a great deal of compassion for women who are struggling with infertility. We've got wonderful medical institutes that are able to help women to conceive. And frankly, at a much higher success rate, IVF actually has a pretty low success rate when you compare it to some of the methods that the church promotes, like NAPRO technology. And if any of your listeners are in that situation, I'd really recommend they look at the website for the Pope Paul VI Institute in Omaha, which is an outgrowth of Creighton University's hospital and medical school. Okay, that being said, uh, bracketing that uh, to the side, the, the facts in this case are as follows. There were three married couples who uh, between um, the three of them had five uh, IVF frozen embryos um, that were being stored in what's called a a cryogenic nursery. I mean, the facility actually calls it a nursery, the cryogenic nursery, where these embryos at about 14 days are frozen at a temperature that's extremely low so that they go into, um, you know, a state where they don't develop, but they also don't die. And so um, the facility did not secure its cryogenic nursery properly and uh, a person was able to gain access took those five embryos out of the chirogenic nursery and because of the the way in which they're frozen um, you know it's that dry ice if you've ever touched dry ice um, it burned the person's hand and he or she dropped them killing all five of them so these were wrongful death lawsuits brought by the families in these cases saying we deserve compensation for the wrongful death of our children. And the lower courts dismissed it, saying, no, this is just biological material, um, and and these were not human beings. And the Alabama Supreme Court overruled them and said the, the very plain face of the Alabama Wrongful Death of a Minor Act Um, You know, on its face, it includes all children, including those who are unborn and including those who are what they called extra uterine, who are so living not inside the uterus of his or her mother, but rather in in a different place altogether. So um, they just said on its face, this law applies to all children without limitation. That's what the law says. And that's the only issue, they said, we are resolving here today. And they even go to you know great lengths to point out that this case raises a lot of difficult questions, including ones about the ethical status of 
you know, um, embryonic frozen children, the application of the 14th Amendment, uh, public policy implications, they said, of treating extrauterine children like human beings. But they said the court is not addressing these questions today because the only relevant statute we're looking at is the Wrongful Death of a Minor Act. And on its face, the way the law is written, it applies to everyone, all unborn children without limitation. So that's it. And anyone who would have sat down and read through the court's opinion would see they're not even trying to reach these other questions that you've seen, you know, uh, on the talk show that you were watching and referencing, John, um, about all these other kinds of strange scenarios people are now coming up with. All they talked about was this particular statute and its application to the wrongful deaths of these five embryonic children who were destroyed at, uh, uh, you know, intentionally or unintentionally, we don't really know, by this person who managed to sneak into the cryogenic nursery. The bottom line, uh, the court uh, acknowledges that unborn babies are human beings. Well, right. You know, but actually, it wasn't just the court. Um, they, they go into what are called stipulations. And so they specifically note that all parties to this case, so that means both the fertility clinic and the parents of these um, unborn children, all parties to this case agree that an unborn child is a genetically unique human being whose life begins at fertilization and ends at death. So that was stipulated. That means agreed upon by both parties before this lawsuit was filed, but before this case got to the Alabama Supreme Court, rather. And so they they also agreed, the parties further agree, the court said, that an unborn child usually qualifies as human life a human being or a person, as those words are used in ordinary conversation and in the text of Alabama's wrongful death statutes. So Alabama, like uh, I think 38 other states in the United States, also have what are called fetal homicide statutes, which means if you kill an unborn child uh, at any stage of gestation, you will be charged with two counts of homicide. Um, federally, this is known as Lacey and Connor's Law, which was named for Lacey Peterson and her unborn son, Connor, who were murdered by Lacey's husband and Connor's father, sadly, Scott Peterson. It's a very tragic case. Uh, so if you kill a pregnant woman uh, in, in the commission of any of 60 different federal crimes, um, you will be charged with two, char uh, two uh, charges of um, either manslaughter or murder. Um, and and there are also, again, 39 states that have state statutes, including Alabama. So we already, in a multitude of other situations, acknowledge the unborn child as a person and that there are criminal penalties, wrongful death penalties, if you kill them intentionally. And through this um, clinic's negligence, um, these children were, were dropped by someone who should not have been in the chirogenic nursery to begin with, and they were killed. And the court agreed with the parents that you have a right to sue under our wrongful death statute here in Alabama. I want to invite our, our listeners. Obviously, uh, th this is a uh, groundbreaking uh, ruling. Uh, it's gotten so much uh, national attention. Uh, if you have any uh, thoughts uh, or any questions on this Alabama Supreme Court's ruling that unborn babies are human beings, as well as uh, the Catholic Church's teachings on the morality of IVF, uh, we're taking your calls for pro-life and Catholic attorney Mary Helen Fiorito at 888-914-9149, 914 -9149. Now, the uh, Alabama Chief Justice Tom Parker uh, had uh, a lot to say about this case and, uh, you know, referred to uh, uh, the, the sanctity of life in, in his opinion. Yeah, no, it is. I mean, it, obviously, um, the, the author of this particular decision 
had uh, has a viewpoint that acknowledges, again, what we know from science, right? And this is what um, I, the church has always consistently said, is that science and reason and faith all go hand in hand, that we know unequivocally any embryo embryology textbook in this country um, will tell you very clearly that life that is human begins at the moment of conception. And so what the court was trying to say, you don't even really have to reach any of the other philosophical or religious issues here, because we know that here, the law and science, again, go hand in hand. Unborn children, our children, under this particular act, it's called the Wrongful Death of a Minor Act, without any exception, um, including the exception of physical location. And what the uh, clinic, the fertility clinic, was trying to argue that no, because these were, you know, extra uterine children, they're really not children at all. But if you take that, the court said, you know, they, they came up with some other good examples of how if you take that to its logical conclusion, um, you know, a child being born in partial birth abortion, which has long been prohibited in Alabama and also federally, um, those would not qualify as children either because they're, you know, they're 90% outside of the womb when their lives are taken. So you, you have to think of, you've got to go to the, the logical end conclusion of some of these cases. And I, I think the court's opinion here is very reasonable. Again, it's very it's very targeted um, and and very sort of specific. And so to, you know, kind of go to the extent that um, the media has gone primarily, I'm not so much blaming some of the legal scholars I've seen at least commenting on it fairly, um, although even they've prevaricated a little bit. Um, I, I think that the media has sort of, you know, they take a headline and then they just run with it and come up with these extraordinary, you know, consequences that simply aren't aren't happening, aren't going to happen, even in Alabama, very narrowly tailored decision. And again, the court goes to pains, the, you know, right at the get-go to say, we are not reaching any of these questions today. We are talking about this particular act with these particular plaintiffs, these particular parents. And you know, we think of it, it's a very pro-parent decision, right? The court came down on the side of the parents of these embryolic, you know, um, frozen embryo children, the moms and dads, and said, no, these were their children. And these couples believed that they were their children. Again, you know, they, they were conceived in a way that the church wouldn't uh, approve of, and we don't approve of babies being, you know, uh, in a cryogenic nursery frozen. But by the same token, these were their children, and they have every right, um, both under the law and, you know, under common sense, to be able to sue for the loss of those children. In these uh, final moments, uh, if you could maybe share uh, a summary of, of the Catholic teaching on why IVF is morally uh, wrong. Right. Well, this is, you know, and again, I, I'd like to just, I, I know many people who have struggled with infertility. I know what a cross it is. And this is not a judgment on anyone who, without better knowledge or understanding, may have used these kinds of methods. But what the church teaches is that the unitive act and the procreative act cannot be separated. So that you have to have those two things have to be together in order for the act to be a, a legitimately moral act. And again, the church isn't turning a blind eye towards people who are suffering. There are many methods that the church approves of that you can use. Mary, um, we have time to squeeze in a, a caller. Harriet is joining us uh, from Texas this morning. Good morning, Harriet. Uh, welcome to Morning Air. You're on with uh, Mary Helen Fiorito. I heard that there are as many as 500,000 frozen embryos in the United States. So what do we do for these? They're, they're, are they just going to 
eventually wither away? Can we get them and and bury them properly? But with, to do that, they'd have to be dead. Yeah, I, Harriet. I, it, uh, sorry, go ahead. Problem, I think. Oh, yeah. No, Harriet, and, and you raise a very good point. I mean, um, I've been talking about taking things to their logical end conclusion, right? And um, so, yes, there are many. Uh, unfortunately, what some uh, uh, fertility clinics do is they freeze an excess number of embryos. Now, there are some organizations primarily in the evangelical Christian community. Um, they're called snowflake babies. And you will have women who will adopt these embryos and or who are willing to have them implanted so that they are not thrown out or destroyed. Um, you know, Catholic moral theologians are a bit divided on whether or not that's a appropriate. Um, does that further sort of make the child, um, you know, not not the product of his or her natural parents, which that child has, you know, a, a right to to, um, or does it commodify the child in some way, um, or is it a real act of mercy to keep the child from being from you know being frozen? I have heard other moral theologians say no. The best the best thing to do is to allow them to die naturally. And then as you pointed out, Harriet, give them a proper Christian dignified burial and not certainly not to be thrown out as medical waste. I hope that helps, uh, Harriet. Uh, thanks for the call. Uh, Mary, uh, we're just about out of time. Real quick, I know you mentioned uh, the uh, Paul VI Institute in Omaha. Uh, the National Catholic Bioethics Center is also a, a fantastic resource uh, that might give some answers to some of these questions. Is very compassionate towards couples who are experiencing infertility, and the church wants to assist you and walk with you. You do not have to resort to IVF. There are other church-approved methods that you can use um, to help you conceive that don't wind up with these ethical nightmares that we're looking at right now. Mary, as always, really appreciate uh, your perspective. Uh, thanks so much for being with us. Thanks, John. We'll see you next week. God bless. God bless you too. Mary Helen Fiorito, you can uh, find her on uh, X, formerly Twitter, at Mary Fiorito. We need to take a short break when we come back. Digital media priest, uh, Father David Michael Moses, the parochial vicar of uh, Christ the Good Shepherd Catholic Church in suburban Houston, will join us to talk about how marriage is like a car ride. So stay with us as we're headed down the stretch on this uh, Friday edition of Morning Air here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Catchy a tune and how appropriate. We're going to talk about marriage here in a second. Welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn and producer Sarah. Thanks so much for joining us on this Friday morning here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app as we get ready for the weekend. You can always send us an email directly. It's morningair at relevantradio.com. You can also find us on X, formerly Twitter, at Morning Air Show, as well as on Facebook. And our toll-free line, if you want to be part of the conversation here this morning, 888 914 
800-242-9149. Now, for all those married couples, uh, couples who are engaged or single people who are looking for a spouse, do you know what is the ultimate goal of marriage? That is uh, the million-dollar question this morning. Here's the answer. It's getting our spouse to heaven. It's as simple as that. In fact, this was something that my wife, Cindy, and I learned uh, in our marriage prep classes. It's coming up on uh, 19 years ago. Hard to believe. My job is to get Cindy to heaven, and hers is to get me to heaven. So I want you to listen uh, to uh, this YouTube video from our next guest, Father David Michael. Do yourself a favor and watch this video. I was in a meeting for married couples the other day at the church, and someone there said something very interesting. They said, marriage is like a car ride. If both people don't want to go to the same destination, someone will be unhappy the whole way. If you're called to marriage, think about that for your future spouse. Being attracted to them is great. Enjoying talking with them is great. Having similar hobbies is great. But if they don't want to go to heaven with you, someone will be unhappy the whole way. Find a spouse who wants to go to heaven with you because that's a journey worth being on. And joining us live from Spring, Texas in suburban Houston is Father David Michael, the parochial vicar of Christ the Good Shepherd Catholic Church, with much more on how marriage is like a car ride. So uh, buckle up, folks. Uh, We're going to uh, dive into it much more. Uh, Father David Michael is a popular young priest on a mission to share his face through digital media with that uh, contagious joy and uh, humor and uh, and a genuine love for other people. Good morning, Father David Michael. Thank you so much for uh, being with us once again. Always a joy to be with you. Thank you so much for having me back. Always look forward to this. Father, can you uh, further explain why marriage is a car ride? Yeah, well, when I heard that analogy in our uh, sponsor couples meeting, um, I love just the simplicity of it, right? Sometimes we make things very, very complicated when the truth often is something that is much easier to understand. And I think particularly for people um, discerning marriage or kind of looking where they want to go with their marriage currently, I think that's a helpful image to have. Because um, when you're discerning marriage, right, it's easy to get caught up in lots of other things when you're dating, you're talking about engagement, that kind of stuff. Um, but it is good to say, okay, what is the purpose of this, as you spoke about? What's the end goal here? And how is this relationship going to be a vehicle to get me to an end goal? Because when you're in a car ride, um, and if you're not going the place you want to, then you kind of start to feel like it's a waste of time. You're probably going to get frustrated with the other person in the car ride with you. Um, you're going to be annoyed about who's driving this thing and who's not. And I think that that's an image worth reflecting on for people. Um, I always tell them, you know, you don't get to choose your dad. You can't choose your brothers and sisters. Um, but you do get to choose your spouse. Your spouse is family that you get to choose. So make sure that you choose wisely. And I think especially for, you know, young people, it's good to think through the faith question particularly. The church says you can marry a non-Catholic. You can even marry a non-Christian. Um, but it's good to say, um, is that what you want, right? Because you get to choose what you want um, in marriage. And so to think through, should I, should I um, be marrying somebody that maybe I don't have the same you know, beliefs with? Especially, I would say this because I see this pretty frequently, people maybe have been dating somebody for five or six years, and they don't really line up with them on some of the key values, but they feel like they've been dating for so long, they've invested so much. And I'll ask them, you know, let's say it didn't work out with you and this person. Would you ever date somebody else 
who had these same qualities or didn't have these same qualities that you were looking for. And sometimes people will say, no, I would never date somebody like this again. And I'll say, wow, you know, it sounds to me like you're willing to date somebody that you wouldn't want to actually marry objectively. And so um, I don't think it matters how long you've been dating. If it's, if it's not what you ultimately want out of it, it's better to marry the right person much later than the wrong person early on. But if the couple already is married, I think this analogy is still helpful. It's good to be talking through what are our goals? How can we line up? Um, I heard a joke once, marriage is, a, marriage is very psychological. One person's psycho and the other one's logical. And it can sometimes feel like that if we're not communicating well. So I think it's good to be talking through how can we line up our vision here so we both get where we want to go. Well, F- Father David Michael, um, th- this entire topic of uh, being on the same page, you know, uh, similar to the analogy of, of the of the car ride, I, I think is something that really hits home. And, you know, the first thing I thought of was, you know, marriage prep. We're coming up on 19 years of marriage, my wife and I. And, uh, you know, the one thing, I mean, they, they taught us a lot of stuff, but the one thing that really always st- stood out was that my job is to get her to heaven and her job is to get me to heaven. So it's, I think it's really important that we try to be on the same page, headed in that same uh, direction. Definitely, yeah. Am, am I coming through okay a little bit better now? I know it might have been hard a second ago. Okay, fantastic, fantastic. Um, yeah, I think one, one thing especially that jumped out to me, maybe you've heard this study from Dr. Gottman. He's kind of a, an expert when it comes to um, predicting divorce. He, he was able to run couples through a a series of exercises and he was able to predict divorce with 90% accuracy. And the big thing he discovered um, was a great predictor was how couples responded to another, another, their other spouses um, bids for affection. So if the person, you know, comes home from work and says, gosh, it's been a long day. um, The way the person responds to that, if they just ignore that, or they recognize that this is a moment where their spouse is asking for some kind of encounter and in their interaction, then they were in a much, much better position long-term with the marriage. So I think the attentiveness to the other person really goes a very, very long way ensuring up the marriage for long-term success. Want to open up the phone lines and invite uh, our listeners. Uh, do you agree that marriage is like a car ride? Uh, what do you do to have fun and enjoy the ride uh, with your spouse? We'd love to hear from you. Uh, we're taking uh, your calls for digital media priest, Father David uh, Michael at 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. Will is uh, joining us this morning from uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Uh, good morning, Will. Well, you're on with Father David Michael. Yes, Father David Michael, my question is, the highest, most perfect marriage, it, would that be the unitive state of the soul of God? Yeah, well, I love that. I love that question, that image. Um, so the Lord gives us this idea of the bridegroom in the church as a, a, as a, a wedding feast, right? And so human marriage is between a man and a woman mirrors that and points us to that kind of union. It's supposed to be a sign for us, and it's a very, very beautiful sign because of how practical it is. 
But you are correct that it, it does point to a much deeper union, which by analogy we could, we could call marriage, um, a much deeper kind of union with God that we're all called to experience. Because, of course, you know, marriage does end at, at death, right? So everybody is, um, nobody is married in that way in heaven, it's in human marriages, and we're all called in that union with God. So, you know, I've heard it said that the uh, married people give us um, a sense of what love looks like, but the celibate people um, give us a, a sense of what marriage is all about, right? So it gives us a practical image of what this should look like, but ultimately, um, we are called to an individual union with God in heaven, and marriage is simply a way of, of getting us there. So I think that's very well put on your part. Appreciate the call, uh, Will. Um, Father David Michael, uh, can you talk about how married people also need to grow in holiness uh, on a day-by-day uh, basis, and, and also the, the grace that you get from the sacrament uh, of marriage? Because after all, it is a sacrament, that, that grace that, to, to help us grow in holiness. Yeah, well, I'd love to go back to sacraments because that is God giving us grace to do what He's called us to do, right? So if God has called you to it, and it's a sacrament. I mean, I think it is worth noting as an aside, um, it's only a sacrament if we're married to another baptized person. So if somebody marries someone who's not baptized, it's still a valid marriage. It's a real marriage. It's binding for life but it's not sacramental unless both people are baptized. So they don't have to be baptized Catholic. You could marry a baptized you know, Lutheran or Baptist or something like that. Then it would still be a marriage. And if the person gets baptized after you're married, then it clicks in and becomes a sacrament at that point. But I think that's something worth noting for people as they're kind of discerning through things. Um, but ultimately, it is the Lord giving you grace to do what what he's called you to do. And, and people are called to great holiness, right? Vatican II was really good about emphasizing this, that um, it's not just the priests and the sisters, you know, called to, to sainthood. Um, it, it, everybody is called and needs to be a saint, especially when we look at our society. If we're not the ones, um, that the mothers, the fathers, the husbands and wives in the churches right now, if we're not the ones sanctifying our families and our workplaces, um, then who is? Like, who in the culture is going to be doing that if we're not the ones living it out. And it starts with the marriage because the marriage points to how the family goes and the family points to how the culture goes. So it is worth investing so, so much um, in utilizing the grace God is giving you um, to really pursue great holiness in your marriage. And I worked on that too. Um, it's difficult. It's very, very hard. Um, and I think sometimes we have ideas about how a perfect marriage should look for us. And I think it's, it's good to recognize that even in the, in the difficulty, and maybe in especially in the difficulty, when it's hard to love and hard to be faithful, the Lord is sanctifying us in that, that um, love often comes through um, going through difficult things um, and, and building that kind of endurance. So just to encourage everybody out there um, that the Lord is sanctifying each of us um, in, in the situations and relationships that He's giving us, and uh, we can hopefully find some, uh, some encouragement in that. Father David Michael, can you um, maybe share some practical tips based on your experience as a young priest on how to have more joy, how to have a really happy marriage despite the challenges? Yeah, well, first, I think people sometimes forget how incredible it is that there is somebody in the world who has chosen to love you through a marriage. Because what they're saying is they love you so much they are forsaking every other person in the world. They're giving up every possible 
other romantic relationship they could have because they're choosing you. Like they're saying, I will love you no matter what happens in the future. So don't forget that you're being loved that way, that they chose you in that way. That is incredibly, uh, I think that's incredibly joyful thing. Secondly, um, to make sure that you're praying with and for your spouse. Um, people sometimes have very good prayer lives individually, but to be praying together, it can be kind of awkward at first, but I think that's a huge encouragement and a way of building a level, level of intimacy that opening up your own spiritual life to this other person, I think can, it can bring a lot of uh, a lot of joy. And just for people to know, like, again, investing in your marriage, going on a date, hanging out, you know, pursuing things you enjoy together, that's not selfish time. That's very good for your family because the way your marriage is going is the way you're going to lead your, your family ultimately. Um, so I think that is definitely this planning better you can invest in after a relationship with God. That's the most important relationship in your life. Final uh, moments uh, this morning. Uh, your uh, final word on uh, how we can actually get our spouses to heaven. Yeah, so I would just say to uh, make sure that we're keeping the goal in mind, saying how the goal of getting to heaven yourself and getting them to heaven, and how can what we do, how we live each moment, fit into that ultimate goal um, of union with Christ, and then we can spend eternity enjoying the fruits of our labor. Father, how can our listeners uh, find your outstanding videos on social media? Pretty much any social media platform. I do a lot on Instagram, but also uh, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok. Um, they're free to check out the stuff there. Can you give us your blessing? Of course, Heavenly Father. We give you thanks for this morning that you have given us for this day to live for you. I ask that you send your Holy Spirit um, on all of those listening today, all of those in marriages, those that are difficult, those that are challenging, those that are joyful. Um, we ask for that you with all those discerning marriage right now, that they might be encouraged um, by the good that you call them to give them wisdom to choose well and strength to live it out. And through the vision of my hands, there's just with the blessed Virgin Mary, all the saints, and mighty God bless you always, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, uh, F- Father David Michael, for b- being with us. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Always a pleasure. Father David Michael, the parochial vicar of Christ the Good Shepherd Catholic Church in Spring, Texas. And now it is time for another episode of Glenn Story Corner. Our story today is called Forgiven and Adopted by Peter Kennedy. The novelist A.J. Cronin tells a story from his own experience as a doctor that catches the wonder of the gift of grace. Cronin was a friend of the Adams family who lived in the Connecticut suburbs. At the close of the Second World War, Mr. and Mrs. Adams decided to open their home to a little refugee boy from Italy with the outlandish name of Paul Piero Stanalsi. The Adamses had two daughters and a six-year-old son named Sammy. Sammy and Paul became inseparable friends. But little Paul was a difficult child and often disobeyed Mr. and Mrs. Adams. One day, little Paul went swimming in some contaminated water. He became very ill with a high fever, and the doctor suggested that he sleep in an attic bedroom. But little Sammy missed his friend Paul so much that one night he crept up the attic stairs and into bed with Paul. Paul's contagious breath fell on Sammy's neck all night. In the morning, Sammy, ever a strong child, became deathly ill. Paul recovered his health, but Sammy died within three days. It was a terrible tragedy for the Adams family. A year later, Dr. Cronin decided to pay a call on the Adams family, but as he pulled into their driveway, he was amazed and then angry as he saw Paul, the refugee boy, working in the garden with Mr. Adams. 
He got out of his car and angrily approached Mr. Adams. What's this Paul P.O. whatever his name is doing here after what he did to your family? Mr. Adams looked at the doctor and then said quietly, Dr. Cronin, you won't have any more trouble with Paul's name. You see, he's Paul Adams now. We've adopted him. God is more than forgiven us. He's adopted us. Today in prayer, thank the Lord that his forgiveness is greater than any sin in our life. Ephesians 1.5 says he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. As always, thanks so much, uh, Glenn. During this Lent, let's honor our Lord Jesus and his Blessed Mother Mary by praying and watching the family rosary across America with Father Rocky and Maggie at 7 p.m. Central tonight and every night of the week here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. That'll do it for this Friday edition of Morning Air. For Glenn Leverance, producers Sarah Tafoya, Gabby Burke, Young Thomas, our entire Morning Air team, I'm John Morales. Thanks so much for joining us. Let your light shine before all. God bless America. We'll see you Monday on the next Morning Air. Have a great weekend. Go to Mass. The Patrick Madrid Show is up next. <laughs>